No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at a time and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight a cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained one. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received with the five talents brought another five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give him to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, have you ever noticed how much preparing for an important event can shape one's whole life? When I was studying at the PTC, uh, only fairly recently actually, my lecturers talked not a lot about having the will to pass an exam. They, you might find that surprising. They didn't say, you know, you should have the will to take a test and pass it. They were much more concerned that we would have the will to prepare to pass a test, that we actually would make a whole lifestyle bound up with getting ready to pass the test on the day. There's a big difference, isn't there, between having the will to pass the test and the will to prepare to pass the test. And this is also true in sport, isn't it? When you think about uh, these bike riders that we've been seeing on the TV with the, the Tour de France, uh, they can't just make it to the starting line and think that uh, now that they've arrived at the starting line, it's just a matter of mind over matter. Of course not. Uh, preparing for that race has so dominated their lives, uh, it's shaped so many aspects of what they do so that when they find themselves before the starter's gun, as it goes off, uh, they'll be ready to go. Those guys know that. They know that uh, by the time they get to the starter's gun, it'll be too late to say, well, I wish I'd had a few more hill rides in my training. It'll be too late to say, I wish I'd done a little bit more uh, sprint practice or anything like that. They know that by the time they get to the starter's gun, uh, they've got to... They've really had to have had it sorted out before that time. Uh, and so they gear their whole lives to that moment so that they'll be able to finish that race. Now, in today's passage, Jesus is talking to us about another moment to prepare for. And it's much more important than uh, any simple taking a test, any exam, or even a pretty special bike ride. He's talking about the moment when he returns again. 
always good when your pages get mixed up. There we go. We see uh, the, the topic of uh, the second coming of Christ is uh, beginning in a conversation that started earlier on uh, in chapter 24. The disciples have been looking uh, at the buildings, the temple, and they're drawing Jesus' attention to them. And Jesus makes a comment that these things ain't going to last. And I'll pick that up in uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, two weeks ago, Scott um, spoke uh, from Matthew 24 and talked to us about some of the signs of the times, of um, what would happen before the destruction of the, the temple. There would be false messiahs coming, and there would be wars and rumours of wars. And in verse 34, Jesus says, uh, all these things would take place before this generation passed away. And so uh, before the destruction of the temple, that would actually happen within their lifetime. And Jesus was um, vindicated in that prophecy. That actually happened in 70 AD. But Jesus is now turning his attention, it seems, to the second half of the question that the disciples have raised in uh, chapter 24. And that's a question about his coming. That's the word that we have in the NIV, coming. But uh, the actual word's called a parousia. And uh, the parousia could be otherwise translated as visitation or his appearing. It'd be like um, if, uh, for argument's sake, Kevin Rudd turned up into Port Macquarie and uh, his presence was here. That would be his, his uh, appearing. He, he brings his presence into this town. And so that's what Jesus is beginning to talk about now. The first thing that we notice that he's saying about his parousia or his coming is that we don't know when it is. It is an unknown time. It's an unknown day. We see that in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And here we're confronted with uh, something of a mystery. Uh, it's a mystery as to how do we hold together that Jesus was both very God and very man at the same time. We're, we're told here by Jesus very matter-of-factly that not even he knows when that day will come. How do we understand that tension? Well, that's, um, that's something that some Christians have put a bit of thought into uh, and still find a foolproof answer is actually hard to come by. This is what one man said. It's probably impossible to formulate a theory which will account fully for Jesus making himself nothing while at the same time retaining the form of God. See, it's hard to actually understand, isn't it, how Jesus on the one hand can uh, resist a temptation to turn those um, stones into bread by Satan. He, he, and then at other times he, he chooses to turn uh, so many loaves into 5,000 loaves for a whole lot of people. Jesus is 
showing us his glory in the transfiguration, we see something of his glory. And then at other times, uh, like in this moment here, we, we find that he says he doesn't know. So it's very, there's a mystery, isn't there, that's bound up with Jesus both being fully God and fully man. But the important thing about this passage is that the topic, it's the day, the day that's coming. Not only is it an unknown day, there's not going to be a sign, but the day is going to catch a whole lot of people unaware. We'll see this in verse 37 through to 41, if you're reading with me. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. At the time of Noah and the flood, people were just getting on with life uh, as normal. But then they were caught off guard as the flood came and they were taken away. They were swept away by that judgment where God shows that he not only knows how to create a good world, he also knows how to judge the world. And here Jesus is reminding us that that same thing is going to happen. We're given a picture that when he comes, uh, people will be caught unaware and some will be probably certainly taken off to their deaths. The second uh, challenge that we face is to live in a way that our whole lives reflect that we know Jesus is coming again and that we're ready for his appearing. And we see this in uh, Matthew 42, sorry, 24 verse 42. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So in answer to the disciples' questions about what will be the sign of the times and uh, of the end of the age, what will be the sign of your coming, the short answer that Jesus gives is, well, there is none. You don't get a sign. You're not going to have an opportunity to see, oh, look, there's a sign. It's, uh, we better turn over a new leaf now and get sort of our act together before he comes. That opportunity is not really going to come. Uh, the thief does not do what uh, some people in my street do, where they hand out those mail-order little catalogues with the little slip on the front that sort of highlights the day, Thursday, is when they're coming to, back in to pick up that mail-order catalogue and keep it in the plastic bag so it doesn't get wet. The thief's not like that. He, um, he's much more cunning. He, I don't know how much success those things get anyway, but certainly the thief comes to break and enter, but they don't tell you they're coming on a Thursday. And Jesus is saying, that's the sign you'll get it. There is no sign. That's the sign. No sign. No that. So here is a case where we are left thinking, we've got to have our whole lives geared ready for his coming. That's the challenge, that we need to be patient until that time and remain faithful as God's people. Because there are results about uh, whether we are faithful or not as well. Jesus tells us, about the results of being ready or not. 
You'll see that in verse 45. Keep reading on with me. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, the options that are then presented by Jesus are two. There are two options and we see the corresponding results. The first of the options, uh, we can choose to be like the faithful and wise servant or the wicked servant. We can acknowledge our responsible position, our privileged position to live as God's children and to be faithful and uh, wait for his return. Even if the master is uh, staying away a long time. Or we can be people who are foolish and deceive ourselves that our master is never coming back. And so that reality may, well, that thought about reality, that deceived thought might infiltrate into our lives. We might start forgetting about God and just doing what we want to do. Well, the results in this story of remaining faithful are are very good. The person who uh, remains faithful gets to be in charge of all the possessions of their master and it seems like they're almost really entering the family at that point. But the results of uh, being unfaithful are best to avoid. They are horrifying, they're shocking. The word uh, we have here is a a word that we get the word dichotomy from where you dice something in half and that's this cut the person into pieces. This is um, shocking language to help us from God to uh, remember that we don't want to go there. This is um, serious business. But the fact is, for both these people, the uh, for the wise person and the foolish one, the master still returns at a time that neither of them expect. And Jesus is going to return at a time that you don't expect, nor me. He's going to return when he when it's good and ready to. In this next section. Jesus continues to draw on uh, the wisdom literature, the language of uh, wisdom and foolishness. There's a a large tradition we have in our Bibles as we read the Proverbs about uh, the person who is wise is the one who truly honours God and respects God and the fool is the one who forgets about God. Wisdom and folly work themselves out in our lives in a thousand different kinds of ways in daily life in business, in the home, as part of a community, in our plans for the future, in recognising and avoiding temptations to immorality. Wisdom's worked out in honesty and dishonesty, in hard work or in laziness. But Jesus is telling us that wisdom's more than just knowing about God's will and how to do that at each and every point in our lives. Wisdom is bound up with knowing the signs of the times. It's about knowing 
that the world has turned a corner now that Jesus has come. And it's about being ready for his return. It's about recognising that the end of the age could come at any moment and that we should have been living lives which show that we are ready to give an account for our lives to God. This point's reinforced in this next story about ten young girls, five of whom are described as wise and five whom are pictured as foolish. The setting for the uh, big night is a wedding and then a wedding feast at the end of it. Apparently some of the girls took their uh, flasks of oil along, but others didn't. Now the lamps that we're talking about here are probably sticks uh, with some material wrapped around the top, which um, could be lit up and probably last for a little while, but uh, if you needed to have the light for any length of time, you'd need to pour the oil on and continue to have some fuel for it. And there's a delay. Again, another story with a delay when the, um, the bridegroom's coming. And of course we're to think, oh, well, that's representing Jesus and how long it's taking for him to come again. And all the girls go to sleep in verse 5. But at midnight, there is the cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And at this point, there is a problem. There's trouble. Because although the girls all thought about oil, uh, we know that, uh, five of them thought about oil when it was too late. They were there, ready, probably with their torches, to be a, having quite a spectacular, maybe making a tunnel down into the, uh, the feasting hall, torches blazing away, ready to go. But unfortunately, the uh, five girls who didn't bring the oil ask about getting oil from the others, and they say, no, sorry, it's just too late to think about it now. And so in the Proverbs, we have pictures of listening to Lady Wisdom or getting uh, carried away by late Mistress Folly, who it seems to be. But here Jesus offers us the challenge and the question of who would we rather be like? Would we rather be like the five wise girls or the five foolish girls? And if we're going to be like the five wise girls, then wisdom means recognising now that we need to live in a way that shows Jesus could return at any moment. But folly means thinking about Jesus' return when it's too late. And there will be a whole lot of people in that situation. And so it's good for us to be reminded week in and week out as we um, sit and listen to God's word about the state of affairs of our world. It's good for us to be reminded, isn't it, to keep on thinking about being ready and living our whole lives in readiness for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the fact is we are a minority group. Bible-believing Christians are a minority group in our nation. It doesn't bother a whole lot of people that they don't give thanks to God or to glorify him, that they don't bat an eyelid about the fact that he's even, in his kindness, sent his son into the world to die for our sins. And so as we think about the future and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are really speaking a different language to the world and the way that they think about the future. And so the challenge for us remains to be to hold on to the truth of what Jesus is saying, to be people who go against the crowd, who are a bit like a trout and swim against the stream. The challenge for us is to live our lives wisely in view of that future event. And that's what Jesus seems to pick up on 
in this next parable of the talents. We saw that last week, actually, when um, Perry Shaw preached on the parable of the talents. But if you're a visitor here amongst us and you didn't hear um, Perry, the good news is we we read that um, little passage just a minute ago. And I'm not going to read the whole thing again because it'll spin out the time too long. But I want to focus on a couple of important points in this parable of the talents. One of the guys who received one talent still received a truckload of money. Did you know that? A talent was worth about... Uh, if you picture a, a worker, they might live for 70, 70 years or so, for about 35 years uh, of a, his wage, that would be about the equivalent to one talent of money. So there's a lot of money. The guy who received one talent of money did not so much do something explicitly wrong with it. His problem, the parable focuses on, was the fact that he just didn't do anything with it. He blew it. By burying it, he just didn't act on it. But as we read this story, I'm wondering who Jesus really has in mind when he's, he's thinking about who these people with the one talent, these one talent people are. And I'm wondering whether he's actually thinking about whether it's the Jews. They have received from God so much. But what did they do with it? Well, this is what they've received from God. Paul tells us about the Jews in Romans I think it's chapter 11, I didn't write the quote down, but he says, theirs is the adoption as sons. No, it must be Romans 9, sorry, Romans 9. Theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. The Jews had a lot of things going for them, didn't they? They were called to be God's royal priests um, collectively, a, a light to the, to the nations. They were to take God's not in name, not in vain before the world, but they were to be the very model of um, people like the Queen of Sheba who would come in. And they even had the Messiah come to them, but uh, they didn't turn back to him. They didn't turn to Jesus as their Messiah. And I'm wondering if they reflect or might be considered the, the man who had the one talent of money who simply um, sat on it. They just sat on what they had. And at the end of this parable, there's a twist because that talent gets taken from the person who has one talent and it's given to the person who has five talents. Well, I wonder who they represent. Maybe they're the people who actually are following after Jesus, the people who listen to what Jesus is saying and they say, yeah, this is the one I need to put my trust in. And for sure, we've received grace, haven't we? We have people who have come to know life with God through our trust in Jesus, our Messiah. We've become part of the family of God. We are the new people of God and we look forward to a, a very great inheritance with God forever. We've been entrusted with much grace, very valuable. So I'm wondering whether we're like the people who've uh, now had the, uh, the blessing sort of passed on to us in the same way that that talent was passed on to the one who had five already. Unfortunately for the Jews, they failed in their task to be the light of the world, but this is what Jesus says to people like us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so we're not to be simply a light to ourselves. Uh, we are the light of the world. There's, a, there's very much a, a mission emphasis there, isn't it, that we've actually got to look just beyond ourselves to our ministry to the, the broader world. Well, in summary to this passage, no one knows when Jesus will return. And it's going to take a whole lot of people by surprise, just in the same way that the flood swept a whole lot of people away. The results of being God's faithful people are worth it at the end. But the results of uh, forgetting about Jesus' return uh, and walking away from God are disastrous. Even if Jesus is delayed in his coming, if it takes a while, wisdom for us is going to mean living our whole lives, even now, ready for his return. Our whole lives ought to be shaped in the same way that the bike riders' lives were shaped by getting ready for that starter's gun. Our whole lives now should be getting geared ready for the return of Christ. And so may God strengthen us to be people who persevere not only to the end of the journey, but to make every day count as we prepare now for that day when Jesus returns again. And may God strengthen us this week to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for these words which again remind us of the right uh, way we should think about the world that you've placed us in and your timeline for the future. Father, we thank you that uh, even though it looks like uh, you are delayed in coming, you will come at the right time and we just pray that you would help us to be people who are ready, that we gear our whole lives around the knowledge that you will come again. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom to do your will now to be people who are careful to spend time speaking to you in prayer about all the things that are in our lives. We pray that you would help us to avoid sin, to keep each other accountable. Father, we pray that you would help us to be uh, the light of the world, to have a not simply a view that we are the light to ourselves. Certainly we pray that for each and every opportunity we have to... Um, Live faithfully as your disciples and to be careful and faithful with the message that salvation is found in Christ alone and that we lay hold of that by faith alone. Father, we thank you that uh, we are saved by your grace and that glory alone goes to you. Father, we pray that Jesus would come soon and we ask for your strength to press on as your people until that time. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.